Yes, here we go. Off of a Labor Day weekend Sunday night pay-per-view that sees Andy Ruiz get a victory. Nearly, nearly a stoppage. It turns out to be a decision, a close decision win over King Kong Ortiz. That was the Fox Sports Premier Boxing Champions pay-per-view. We also had Juan Francisco Estrada in action. Uh, one of the top smaller weight fighters that is out there at super flyweight. Uh, he was in action Saturday night. We're ready to recap all of this. I am merely the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. It is the Fight Freaks Unite recap. He is Dan Rayfield, our insider from his uh, Fight Freaks Unite substack from BigFightWeekend.com. Full disclosure, as we begin the show today, Rayfield already in a bad mood for a myriad of reasons, not the least of which is we normally get this accomplished on Sunday evening, but because of the pay-per-view and it being a Sunday night, it delayed us. Rayfield's got chaos on Labor Day in his household. I have like disconnected chaos in my world with family, with kids. You got the same thing going. You're a little crotchety for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is you're not a morning person. But here we are for the peeps on the podcast. How you feeling? Uh, I'm, I'm grouchy and annoyed. Okay. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to post and recap the show. Uh, and re and recap the shows, plural, that we saw for this weekend. A quick reminder, as Dan has already busted my chops before I hit the record button, uh, make sure you're following or subscribing because then you will get this podcast automatically off the weekend whenever it happens. We typically are out Sunday night late or early on Monday. You're getting it a little later on Monday today, but whenever it happens, you will get notified. Dan, oh. go ahead, use your line. Give your, give your line. Go ahead. You'll get a... A beep, you'll get a ding, you'll get a vibration, <laughs> you'll get a bell, you'll get a light. You get something. I, and I you'll know, you, you did. And you'll get something from us that lets us know, hey, new Fight Freaks Unite recap is there. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, you get it automatically. You get great stuff. With that being said, let's get into it. Let's don't delay. Ruiz wins by decision. Your thoughts in the aftermath of it, as it certainly keeps him relevant now in the heavyweight rankings. Well, first of all, just as an overall assessment, I thought it was a worthwhile pay-per-view. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of entertainment. The main event, maybe not the greatest heavyweight fight of all time. Uh, it was sort of uneven. There was bursts of excitement, bursts of energy. And then there were some stretches where it was sort of like kind of monotonous. But but all in all, you know, a significant fight uh, with the right ending, uh, with with, uh, with some action and an undercard that, that definitely provided some entertainment. I mean, and we'll get to those other fights as we uh, uh, get get through the whole show. But in terms of uh, Andy Ruiz, look, he came in, you know, he's never going to be in the greatest shape of all time. But the thing about it was he at least put himself in position to win. Now, he gets busted in his chops because he doesn't look like he's a, a top heavyweight in terms of his physique. But he was the same weight that he was on the night that he upset Anthony Joshua in 2019 to win the heavyweight title. And, uh, you know, he still has super fast hands when he uses them. Now, the thing about Andy Ruiz, if you if you want to critique his performance, he threw like 287 punches in 12 rounds. That's not enough. Uh, when you're dealing with a 43-year-old King Kong Ortiz, and he is a guy that is not known for that kind of, you know, big, big monster output either, that's more of a boxer, despite his outstanding punching power. For a guy that was 43 years old, he threw almost 500 punches. He threw way, way more, uh, and he came within a whisker. Look, I don't know, you know, people who are listening, they may not have actually seen the pay-per-view or maybe just uh, seen highlights or whatever. But the bottom line was the only reason that Ruiz got the W was because he got three knockdowns. If you take the knockdowns away from him, it's a draw. 
So we had three knockdowns. Two of them came in round uh, uh, two. One came in round seven. The thing is, what, what I would take issue is, if you take a look at the second knockdown in round two, that was one of the weakest knockdowns I've seen a referee call. Now, the referee of that fight was Thomas Taylor. I have massive respect for Thomas Taylor. I consider him one of the top Agree. handful of referees in the entire sport. Uh, I thought that was a bad call. I thought it was a push. Um, you know, King Kong was still a little bit, you know, uh, I won't say hurt, but sort of, you know, not all together after buzzed. the first knockdown. He was definitely buzzed. Yes. And, and basically Ruiz sort of, he pushed him, basically. Uh, there was like a half-assed jab in there, but it didn't really land. I mean, the bottom line was if you take away, if you, if you don't count that second knockdown, which a lot of referees wouldn't, you know, you may be looking at a different outcome of the fight. Uh, in the end, Andy Ruiz, like you said, he gets the win. He stays relevant. He stays on course. You know, I, I, you know, King Kong is 43. They asked him after the fight about retirement. And, I mean, first of all, he's still, if he can compete like that with Ruiz, I don't need, think he needs to retire. It wasn't like he got busted up, got hurt, you know, got caught, got knocked out. You know, he may not be what he was when he was younger and everybody like purposely ran and hid from this man. Um, but he can certainly still make some money and he certainly can still give a test to any any heavyweight. And he still, you know, because of that power and that ability, uh, you know, still has a chance against some of the, the better fighters. Um, so, you know, not the greatest performance ever, but uh, Andy Ruiz got the job done. Come off a 16 year, a 16 month layoff plus a knee surgery. And, uh, you know, and. After the fight, you had Deontay Wilder there in the ring yep. congratulating him. Uh, they're basically calling each other out, even though obviously Wilder has the October 15th other WBC semifinal elimination match against Hellenius. But I suspect if Wilder wins, uh, as he will be the big favorite to do against Hellenius, that come 2023, we will see uh, Andy Ruiz against uh, Deontay Wilder in what will be a pretty big PBC pay-per-view. All right, so we're, we're headed towards that. We'll get to more on that in just a second. Let's back up. In that second round, I believed, call it a knockdown, call it a pushdown, whatever. He was clearly still wobbly and buzzed, and I thought the fight was a punch or two from being over with. If Ruiz could have landed a big shot or two, I thought Thomas Taylor was going to jump in, particularly when after the second knockdown, you could hear on the ref mic, he was saying, walk to me, do you want to go on? And, and um, Ortiz didn't respond immediately Within the first second, I was concerned it was maybe over there. Did you get? Did you have that same vibe? We may be done very quickly in that moment. It's easy to say now, but what did you think? Yeah, I, I no, I didn't actually because I thought that King Kong, while like, he was buzzed, that, listen, I've had conversations with referees over the years about what what's you know it's easy for us watching to make that determination what we think should happen, but when you're standing there in the ring next to the guy and you're the one responsible for this person's life and career, mm -hmm. uh, you have to have a certain mentality. So I've had conversation with reference, not with Thomas Taylor in particular, about what, what, what the, the snapping point is, if you will, when they're going to waive a fight. And, and I've had that conversation with Jack Reese, who was an outstanding California judge. I've had that conversation with uh, Steve Smoger, who's been one of the best refs you know, during his career for, for decades. Uh, and and the, the top referees, they understand the nuance of the, of that split second uh, decision-making process. And I did not feel that even though Luis Ortiz was buzzed, he was not hurt. And there's a difference. There was nothing in his body language or in, in his inability. There was no inability to focus on what Taylor was saying that would have, in my opinion, led him to stop that fight, particularly in round two, where it's, you know, it's, 
again, it's nuanced. It's, there's a difference. If this is round 11 of a hellacious battle where you've taken massive punishment, you might have a different school of thought than you will in the second round. For example, when Wilder had him hurt in the first fight and Wilder was hurt in the first fight and then he knocked him down and it's the 10th round, I think it was the 10th round, that's the point you're making that it's later in the fight, yeah. not the second round to do this. I get it. You know, and, you, and you're taking into account the experience of the fighter, uh, the stakes of the fight. I mean, if nobody wants to see a guy get hurt, but I didn't in any way feel like at that moment gotcha. in time that Luis Ortiz was in any, any sort of situation where he was in any uh, way going to be, you know, seriously not even seriously, but hurt, injured, whatever. He was okay to go. Took him a second just to get his bearings, but he was fine. And as you can tell, it was the right decision because he ended up making it through 12 full rounds. And, and by the way, came back uh, in the latter part of the fight to make this a squeaker of a decision for Ruiz. Okay, so they were bringing it up on the broadcast, and I love the insight of the analysts whenever we can get it. The former undisputed heavyweight champion, Lennox Lewis, Joe Goosen, and Joe Goosen had gone against Andy Ruiz in the corner with Chris Ariola a year ago. So they were talking about tactics and bringing up that Ruiz has never fought a southpaw, and it was really bothering him and hurting his output. Pick up on that point. You talked about the lack of output. Uh, just elaborate some more that wasn't part of that. The long right jab and the concern about a southpaw from Ortiz bothered Ruiz as the fight went on. He couldn't get to him. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, Ortiz has the, the height advantage. He had the uh, length advantage. He had the southpaw style, which I, I, I couldn't believe. And I'm, I, I'm actually not totally convinced that they're right that he never fought a southpaw. I, I just, for some reason, you know, when Andy was coming up, he had like 30 fights with top rank. Uh, and I'm just shocked that there wasn't a single lefty in that. I'm actually going to go maybe take a look at his record, but right. certainly not at the highest level that he ever fight a left-handed fighter, which is, you know, kind of kind of uh, amazing when you think about it. But the point of it is, uh, it's not just the the size and southpaw of Ortiz that might have given him problems. It's also the knowledge that Andy knows that if King Kong lands, that he can get rid of you with one shot because he's such a big puncher. Um, you know, as we talked about when we were leading up to the fight. There was a lot of uh, people saying, well, it's going to be explosive. It's going to be a knockout. You can't possibly go the distance. And I, I said, absolutely not true. Because when you have punchers, they have wariness about what's coming back. And there is a very good chance that it goes the distance because you see all those knockouts that they pile up. And when you really dig in the numbers, you realize that, yeah, they're, they're getting knockouts. But a lot of those knockouts are coming against the inferior opponents when they get in there with the top opponents. And, I mean, there's always, a you know, uh, it's not every single fight that does that. I mean, Ruiz did get the knockout, for example, against Anthony Joshua. But there's other fights, if you look at the careers of these guys, that have been uh, the route. And so I wasn't surprised it went went deep. I didn't think that Ortiz was about to get stopped there in the second round. I just thought, you know, he's been down. He, look, he was down twice early against Charles Martin when they had their fight on New Year's Day. He got up. He got back. He knocked Charles Martin out. I thought it was going to be that, that uh, had the potential to be that kind of fight. But at the end of the day, after 16 months, after 18 months out of the ring or whatever it was, a year and a half for Andy Ruiz and a knee injury, um, you know, he scored a, a, a good solid victory against a, a quality heavyweight. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> got, a, got a little bit of a gift on that second knockdown. But the other two counted and they were clean. And uh, that's heavyweight boxing. And interesting that he needed the 11th round. Uh, very much so to help him ice the decision, or at least it would have been a draw on one card. All three judges gave Ruiz the 11th round. They all gave Ortiz the 12th round, as it turns out, giving uh, him the 12th round on the one card, gave him the decision on the one card. The other one was a three-point margin, 
111. So uh, Ruiz gets the decision win. Now will it be Wilder? We'll see. Uh, we think that it seems to line up that way. Wilder wasn't accidentally in the ring after it was over with. If he wins over Hellenius, that's that looks like it'll be the fight. Maybe December, Jan probably not December, probably January, February, something like that. Uh, when Fox comes off the NFL season, they'll be ready to go with pay-per-views if they're still involved. We'll see if that's the case. All right, rest of the card. Uh, Isak Cruz, lightweight, bombs away in the co-feature fight. Tell me more about what you saw there for his early knockout. Listen, I thought Cruz looked spectacular. I mean, you know, I've liked Cruz since before he was, like, on the scene, so to speak. Like, I've been watching the kid for a while. You know, he's growing. He's learning. He's still a younger fighter. He's only, what, 23 years old, 24 years old. And, uh, you know, Eduardo Ramirez, who his opponent, is – I'm not saying he was championship material or he's pound for pound or anything like that. He's a very competent, legitimate, solid professional fighter. And he made him look like he didn't belong in the ring with him. Like he just walked through him like he was a piece of tissue paper and bombed him out of there. And it was a very impressive knockout. And uh, the fans were excited about it. You know, he's got some swagger to him. Called out Gervonta Davis for a rematch afterwards. Uh, you know, people who follow him know two fights ago back at the uh, end of 2021. You know, he filled in on short notice to take the place of Rolly Romero, who was in dropped the in that same fight. building at the Staples in, Center. Yep. Yes. Raleigh was going through his legal issues and, uh, Pitbull crew stepped up to the plate and uh, took Gervonta Davis the distance. And a lot of people thought he should have uh, been declared the winner that night. Um, if there was ever a guy that, that was able to build off of a loss, like that's the epitome of it. I mean, you know, there's losing is not necessarily ever really a good thing, but if there's ever such thing as a quote unquote, good loss, uh, Cruz's loss to Gervonta Davis set him up uh, to really take a big step forward because he came back. Uh, we've talked about it in April. He absolutely just pummeled uh, Yorkis Gamboa. I mean, the remnants of him. Uh, it's not necessarily such a big deal to get a win over Gamboa these days, but I still thought, thought it was sort of uh, imp impressive and important to get a win where you just went in there and just destroyed the guy who would never, you know, despite other losses, had never really been just blown away like that. And then to come back against Ramirez and do what he did was impressive. You know, I still uh, give grief to the, to the Cruz team for turning down uh, the, the mandated fight against Ryan Garcia, which would have been, uh, you know, an eliminator or for an interim title or whatever it would have been, uh, where they were given 50% of a purse bid if it went to that. And, and I have to say, uh, no offense to Eduardo Ramirez, but a fight between uh, Ryan Garcia and Cruz would have paid Cruz way, 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 way more money than one against uh, Ramirez. You know, obviously they have their, their plans. We'll see. Um, the thing I liked about the lightweight division is that you got to fight somebody, but you're not getting a chance at the title, at least for the time being, until you see Devin Haney, because he's the undisputed champion of the world and there's no other way around it. And, uh, you know, he's tied up at the moment. We know who knows how long he'll stick around in that weight class, whatever uh, occurs with the rematch coming up against uh, against uh, George Cambosis. I, I assume that it'll be probably the winner of that fight against Lomachenko, but, but Cruz is a younger fighter. He's going to be around, and if he can keep making 135 pounds, you know, I don't have any doubt that at some point he's going to get a chance to fight for a title and he'll probably become a champion at some point. He's a hell of a exciting right. and good, good fighter. Got that, got that, just that, that, that engine that, you know, you hit the gas pedal and it's like zero to a hundred in about four seconds. 
and he helped himself. He helped himself with a spectacular knockout in the co-feature to keeps him, <clears throat> keeps him now in the forefront, at least from the PPC point of view, at 135 pounds. All right, immediately before that was the return of Abner Mares, former multi-division world champion. He's been doing some broadcasting the last couple of years for Showtime. He's back in the ring. We well-documented it in the preview mode on this show, our BetUS uh, uh, boxing uh, gambling preview show on the weekend. We documented it. And it ends up being an unfulfilling draw, as it turns out at the end. Your thoughts on that fight on the Sunday night fight card in L.A.? Well, like you said, he's been out of the ring four and a half years or so. Uh, you know, a borderline Hall of Fame career. Uh, one world titles in three weight classes, Bantamweight, junior featherweight, featherweight. Came back after this time off to be in a lightweight fight against uh, Miguel Flores, who is also a guy that had really been largely a career featherweight. Um, and I thought Abner looked absolutely terrific the first two rounds. I mean, almost, uh, you know, like he never missed a day. Like you, if, and I tweeted this, if you were watching that fight and you didn't know that Abner Mars hadn't fought for four and a half years and you're just watching the fight, there's no way you would have ever conceived that this person had been out of the ring. He looked that sharp. Um, but he, he used up a lot of energy, got a little tired, uh, but he landed a lot of really heavy right hands. He rocked Flores, you know, at least three times in those first couple of rounds had massive output, um, and then slowed down a little bit. And the thing about it, though, is even though he maybe, uh, you know, took a couple of rounds off, got a little tired, got his win back late in the fight, and still finished pretty strong, I thought. And, yeah, it was a close fight, and it ended up as a, as a, as a uh, majority draw. I thought that Mara squeaked it out. Uh, I can't really, you know, argue denimently against the draw. The scores were 96-94, and then two judges had it 95-95 apiece. I, I was of the opinion like the one judge, Rudy Barragon, that was 96-94. But uh, whatever you thought the score was, the question now becomes is, if you can't definitively beat a Miguel Flores, because even if you thought he won a 6-4 kind of fight, TJ, wasn't like it was, you know, a draw seemed, you know, it's not the worst score ever either. But the reality is if you're coming back and you want and you have aspirations to really go further with the kind of career that Abner has had, you really can't make it close. So and on that close. point, can I interject? Does he have aspirations to go further? Do you think you talked <clears> to him, you heard him after the fight, or did that scratch the itch? I got back in there to see what I could do. It's a draw. I didn't get seriously hurt. Do you think he has aspirations to keep doing this, or does he just want to go back to the broadcast booth? I scratched the itch. I proved to myself I could do it. What do you think? I mean, I don't know the answer to the question because I haven't spoken to Abner mm -hmm. in the post fight, but I'll say this. You know, he's a fighter at heart, and fighters at heart, they like to keep on fighting. Um, sometimes to the debt to the detriment of their own uh, situation. But you've well um, documented he doesn't need money. We know that. Got his titles. I just wonder if that was a scratch the itch thing. Okay, I went, I did it, been. I had a fight, and now I'll go back to doing the commentary. I don't Listen, know. Listen, I hope he, I hope it is because Abner Morris is a is a is a good guy. He's a nice person. He's had a hell of a career. He's good as an analyst. Um, no one wants to, you know, he's had. The eye problems, I mean, obviously he was cleared medically to have the fight, but he's had two torn retinas in his career. He's got a, a wife. He's got children. You know, he's living the good life. I mean, he, he doesn't need it anymore. And, you know, only he can decide uh, whether he wants to continue. He certainly is not in a position where you would look at him and say, oh, my God, they should not license him. He's, he's a shot fighter. He can't fight anymore. You know, he may not be what he was you know, when he was in his championship heyday, fair enough, but who is, right? I mean, so he's 36. He can still fight if he wants and maybe, you know, win some fights and maybe even get himself into a position of, you know, fight for some kind of title or whatever. I just say, you know, it's a matter of does he want to make that commitment 
Um, if he came to me, if he called me up on the phone today and he said, hey, Dan, what would you think of the fight? What do you think I should do? I'd say, Abner, you've had a great career. It's been a privilege to cover it. Um, probably call it a day and go back to ringside and do a great job on Showtime and, you know, enjoy watching your uh, kids grow up yep. and uh, kick back on the weekend. And, you know, don't worry about going out for the morning run. Sit back and, uh, and, and chill out. Watch your kids play sports. You know, go to the movies with your wife. Uh, you know, go hang out with friends. You don't have to be worrying about the gym anymore in terms of uh, getting ready for a boxing match. And he's in a premier spot, no pun intended, with Showtime, where he's on a lot of big fights. And the next best thing, we know this, to being in the ring and fighting is to be around it, be an analyst, and not get hit in the head and get paid significantly if you can get paid significantly to do it. So that would be that would be a good thing um, as an alternative. It was a good fight, though, TJ. I mean, it was competitive. You know, I just but it was, wonder, what is he still trying to prove? What does he want to do? Because we've laid it all out. You just laid it all out again. What, what are we trying to do here? So I don't know. I mean, I don't know with Marius. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a question that, that every fighter at near the end has to deal with, has to think about. I mean, it's just some guys have a different mentality about it. Uh, you know, he might say to somebody, you know, I came back after four and a half years and I did pretty well. If I spent a little more time training and, and preparing, you know, maybe I'll do better next time. That said, it's hard to see that because it's not like he just decided and said, I came back and did a two month camp. And that was it. He's been in and out of the gym, you know, for the better part of like two of the years of the four years, basically. So I'm not sure how much better he can get. Um, he certainly didn't seem like he had the power as a lightweight. Um, you know, he'd, all, he'd you know, been a, a champion at all. his last fight before this was a featherweight title fight against, uh, his rival, Leo Santa Cruz, they had a terrific fight also in the same arena. So, you know, he's going to have some soul searching to do, some thoughts to do. I, I just hope that he makes the right decision. I hope that he sees that he's in a great position in his career and his life and decides, you know what, I came back, like you said, I gave my fans one more fight. It was a good fight to watch. And you know what, I didn't lose. Um, I didn't get hurt. And uh, you know what, I'm done. Voice of Dan Rayfield, few minutes left. Fight Freaks Unite recap show. We'll be back with a preview show for this weekend. Big women's world title uh, fights this weekend in England that we'll be talking about in the preview mode later in the week. We recap coming off the weekend. Thank you for being patient on Labor Day, on the holiday. Hopefully everybody's had a great weekend. We're a little later releasing it because the PBC Fox Sports pay-per-view was Sunday night late. So we're just getting to the recap podcast after that here on Monday, anything else from that card? Oh, sure. Uh, you wrote a little bit uh, uh, and on the undercard, even the non-televised. Uh, well, we got to hit right. on the uh, yeah, go. the opening. The opening TV fight was the uh, big prospect Jose Valenzuela, who's taken on Edwin uh, De Los Santos, who was on standby, <laughs> but replaced Jezreel Corrales, who was the former uh, junior lightweight title holder, who has legal problems back home and was not able to come to the states for the fight because of a visa issue. And De Los Santos takes that fight, you know, during fight week, uh, even though he was on standby and uh, goes in there and they have a shootout for, you know, just a wild fight for, for, uh, uh, you know, knockdowns. Both guys are on the deck. I mean, and, and uh, De Los Santos comes up with the big upset. Not, I won't say big upset victory, but it comes up with the upset three rounds has both guys are both, both on the deck. He drops Valenzuela, Valenzuela twice and uh, gets the knockout and uh, takes out, a guy that a lot of people, myself included, thought was one of the very best prospects in the sport that was going to a world title, you know, on a beeline. And, uh, you know, that comes crashing to earth. And now Edwin De Los Santos with those heavy hands and that attitude and that swagger, you know, you got to pay attention to this guy. He's from the Dominican Republic. Now he's 15 and one with 14 knockouts. His only loss, you got to go back, uh, you know, at the beginning of this year, 
you know, look, he got upset in a split decision in the eight rounder. I mean, it happens. He wasn't, you know, he's fighting an undefeated fighter in that fight, William Foster. Um, you know, but you know, I, I'll say this as I've said it my entire career: overrated, overrated things in boxing are undefeated records. Uh, you know, and so now the kid's got one loss, big deal. He just absolutely, you know, an annihilated essentially uh, Jose Valenzuela in a wild shootout. So, you know, I'd like to see if Jose Valenzuela can rebound and come back. He'll never have that that uh, that glint of being the undefeated, you know, super prospect again. But it doesn't mean he can't have a good career. And in terms of De Los Santos, uh, I want to see more of that kid for sure after that kind of performance. And also, uh, Raiz Alim victorious as well on the undercard before the paper yeah, you got underway. There was uh, there was uh, fights that were on uh, as we talked about in the preview. They had one fight on FS1 before the paper. That was Raiz Salim. Uh, I thought him and Mike Plania was going to be. Uh, not, I thought Alim would win, but I thought it'd be a little bit competitive. Uh, and uh, you know, to Alim's credit, who's now you know undefeated, 19, uh, 20, no. And, and really probably warrants a title shot in that weight class. He won that fight on a shutout. He scored a knockdown and won 189 on all three cards. Uh, complete blowout. He won Stephen Fulton, who he was calling out. Uh, that would be a good fight. Uh, before, uh, after that, on the Fox part, was uh, the, the uh, prospect uh, Joey Spencer uh, and, moved to 16-0. And? Um, I, say and, again? And? Anything there? I mean, you, you were knocking Joey Spencer... Oh, uh, listen, on quality I mean, of fighter and quality of competition, did you see anything to change your mind? I mean, he, got a decision. A good, he did a good job against Salgado, who was undefeated. He won the fight handily, yeah. like, you know, a 9-1, uh, 10-0 kind of fight. Uh, I didn't see anything in terms of, like, I just – there's not that extra gear in him for some reason. I, listen, I'm, I don't know – I don't have anything against the guy. I, but, but relative to the hype that PBC gives him, yep. it just hasn't matched that. So I don't take anything away from it. He went in the ring. He got the win against an undefeated opponent. It wasn't it wasn't even a, a hard fight for him, but I, I still have never seen that second level gear on this kid or, or any sense of like explosiveness or electrifying things about him. Um, but he got the win. You know, I, I'll give him credit for this afterwards. And I mean, he's maybe getting a little bit ahead of himself. He was calling out Tim Zhu and calling out uh, you know Sebastian Fundora and calling out Tony Harrison and you know guys who were the upper echelon of the junior middleweight division. So he has aspirations. I wish him good luck. Uh, you know, he, he racks up another win and there's that. And then, you know, in the non TV, uh, they showed some fights on the YouTube stream. Uh, you know, if you like heavyweights, Charles Martin, who uh, for about 30 seconds had the IBF heavyweight title before he got uh, annihilated by jo uh, Anthony Joshua, you know, it took four rounds to beat up poor old Devin Vargas and uh, got the win. All right. So good enough on that. Let's wrap it up. Uh, with the fight card that was in Mexico, Juan Francisco Estrada won the main event on DAZN. This was a very competitive fight with Cortez in the main oh, event. Yeah. And uh, there was also an outstanding undercard co-feature fight, uh, or at least earlier on the undercard, that you wanted to say something about. Recap. Recap what you saw in Mexico. Well, in terms of Juan Francisco Estrada, you know, he hadn't fought a home fight in three years. He was coming off the year-and-a-half layoff. He hadn't fought since... March of last year when he had the fantastic second fight between him and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, uh, which was a fight of the year candidate. And I think the only fight that was probably better than that fight in terms of getting the glory of the awards from the different outlets was uh, the uh, Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury three, which, you know, of course, swept all the awards. But Chocolatito and, and Estrada, their rematch was absolutely as good as it gets. Um, I thought that Roman Gonzalez got robbed in that fight. They gave the decision to Estrada, evened up. Uh, their rivalry gave him the unified titles, which were then 
you know, either he vacated or stripped away. So he, he went into this fight as the lineal champion with the ring title, with the WBC uh, franchise title, if you give that any credence. And basically, this was a tune-up fight, uh, TJ. This was supposed to be a hometown fight. Let's get in. Let's get a few rounds in. Let's shake right. off the rust of the long layoff. And let's move on to the fight against uh, Roman Gonzalez, number three, which had already twice been postponed. Remember, at the end of last year, it was Roman Gonzalez coming down with COVID that caused the October fight to be uh, called off. Then it was rescheduled for March. And that, this time it was uh, Estrada that had COVID and it was uh, called off again. And Roman Gonzalez took on a late replacement in uh, Julio Cesar Martinez, looked terrific, won that fight. And then the idea was, okay, let's put this third fight back together. But understandably, Estrada didn't want to come off a year and a half layoff and go back in the ring with uh, a, a, such a tough customer like Chocolatito Gonzalez. Right. So they arranged this hometown fight for him. And, you know, good thing for him, he was in good shape and took it seriously because his opponent, Argie Cortez, was there to fight. Let me tell you, he gave Estrada as tough a fight as you can give a guy. Now, you know, it was a close fight, 7-5 type of fight. One judge had it only one point in favor of Estrada, 114-113. Uh, and Juan Francisco Estrada gets that win uh, because he scores a second-round knockdown. And if it's not, you know, we may have a different situation. Uh, so it was a hell of a fight. I mean, I'll say this, that card, the card itself as a totality, the four fights that were televised or streamed on the zone, the matchroom card they did with Zanfer Promotions down there in Hermosillo, Mexico, which is uh, Estrada's hometown. TJ, that was a great card. That was like, I felt like I was like, I got tell my subscription worth. Sure. Tell me about the vacant junior flyweight fight where they were cracking and you were saying to me before we hit the record button, this is a potential fight of the year that oh, a lot yeah. of people may not have seen or known about. Tell them more. Well, back, the just recap. Before we get to that, we got to go back to the Estrada. The, the thing, of course, is that yeah. he won the fight. Yep. And then during during the post-fight interview, uh, and this was not a surprise that they that they were going to do the third fight with Chuck Tito, but they announced it's going to be December 3rd okay. uh, location to be announced. But uh, for Estrada to have that kind of rugged, hard, tough fight and uh, come back as soon as December, uh, you know, in this day and age, that's sort of surprising. But We uh, like that. We like that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, Roman Gonzalez and Estrada, have had uh, some fantastic fights. They've been the linchpins of this great era of 115-pound uh, fights. It's obviously, you know, the, the four horsemen, it's Roman, it's Estrada, it's Quadras, and it's Trisiket. They've all fought each other, uh, had some incredible battles between these four guys, fought something like 11 or 12 times between them because there's been rematches, uh, you know, around the board. But uh, for them to finally uh, put the cherry on the trilogy and get that taken care of, hopefully there's no more COVID or no more postponements, but you know, that will go down as one of the great rivalries of, uh, of, of certainly in smaller weight boxing history. Um, fantastic fights for, you know, Roman Gonzalez, Lock Hall of Famer, Estrada certainly, you know, has a, has an argument to make. I definitely think he can be in the Hall of Fame. Um, so, so that's that fight. I mean, he came off a very tough fight and now he goes into the, uh, the, uh, the third fight with Roman Gonzalez, who looked great in his last fight. And, you know, we're going to see another banger in the third one and for high stakes because, there may not be an official sanctioning body title belt there, but uh, the guy who wins is number one at junior bantamweight. And, uh, yeah. and you mentioned, um, I'll just say, so the opening fight of that card was Rocky Hernandez, 130-pounder. He had, uh, a, again, a banger with a guy named Jorge, <coughs> Jorge Mata. They put mm -hmm. on a, a you know just an absolute war. Hernandez gets the knockout in the fifth round. The only fight that really didn't live up to was there was a women's uh, rematch uh, between Erica Cruz and uh, Jelena uh, Mergenovich for the featherweight title that Cruz had won from her uh, in the previous uh, in her previous uh, fighter earlier this year. 
uh, or late last year. I forget when it was, but the point was, eh, you know, it was a shutout, not, not nothing to write home about, nothing memorable. And, uh, you know, Marjanovic uh, is 40 years old and probably is, uh, uh, you know, on the way out. But the fight before that, DJ, mm. as good of a fight as Estrada against Cortez was, and as good of a fight as Hernandez and Mata was, this is the reason why if you subscribe to the zone and you didn't see the fight, you are hereby ordered to go on your app, on your yep. phone, on your, on your computer, get the ding, get the bell, whatever, <laughs> and go watch the replay or order the zone to watch the replay. Cause this was an absolutely sensational fight from start to finish. Uh, you have a South African undefeated fighter who was 10 and 0 coming into the fight who never fought outside of South Africa before named Sivenathai Nanshinga. Very nice. Comes, well done. Comes to, comes to Mexico to take on the undefeated 20 and 0 with four draws, Hector Flores. And they're fighting for like the IBF vacant one away title that Felix Alvarado uh, relinquished back uh, in March to move up in weight. So, you know, as world title fights go, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, got a huge amount of attention, a huge amount of spotlight. There was very little in the pre-fight, uh, uh, you know, by the promoters other than announcing that the fight was taking place. The attention of, of, of what little there was on this card was on Estrada, obviously. And uh, these guys put on an absolute gem of a fight. It was an absolute war. I mean, to the highest order, uh, Nanshinga scored a second round knockdown, ends up winning 116-111. Uh, uh, it was a split decision. Uh 115, 112, 113, 114, the other way. Anyway, I mean, I, I don't know how to describe it, TJ. It's like I was like sweating and like tired from watching the fight. I mean, just an absolute. <laughs> South African fight. came a long way to Mexico and fought a great fight. And we got to give him props for that. How about that? Now, I his mean... trainer, Colin Nathan, mm -hmm. everybody who follows boxing at a certain level, like you, you know, the, the, the famous corner, you know, uh, commentary, you know, Angelo Dundee with Ray Leonard. You know, mm -hmm. in the in the in the Tommy Hearns first fight, you're blowing it, son. You're blowing it, and he goes out there and he and he and he stops Tommy in round 14, has him laying on the ropes. The famous, uh, uh, you know, uh, corner interactions between Teddy Atlas and Michael Moore, mm -hmm. you know, urging him on in the Evander Holyfield fight to go out there and do it, do it for your son, and you know you're gonna cry in the morning if you don't do it. Uh, well, Colin Nathan had his Angelo Dundee slash Teddy Atlas moment because after round nine, I believe it was. Uh, there's three, yeah, after round nine, he, you know, he's looking at him in the eyes and says, do you want it? You know, do it for you. I forget exactly what he said, but you do it for your family. You got nine minutes. Can you, you know, you, you want to change your life. You want to change your life around. There do you, you want it? Then go get it. And, uh, you know, Nanchinga went out there and he got it. And it was just, I, I can't, I can't say high enough about it. It's a spectacular fight. Uh, guys that you probably never really heard much about before. And I had heard of the two guys right. going into the fight. Hadn't really you know, studied them or seen a lot of their footage or anything like that. But I mean, I just know them from being in the ratings and that they were undefeated and they were going to, you know, fight for this title because of their high rating in the IBF. And, uh, you know, fights don't get better. And, and that's one of the things for, I, I love about boxing is, you know, we have high expectations or low expectations about certain fights. So, you know, we thought uh, Andy Ruiz and, and King Kong, you know, would probably be a good fight. It turned out to be an okay fight, nothing spectacular, you know, not the kind of fight we're going to be talking about, you know, five minutes after this podcast, probably. Uh, <laughs> but then sometimes you get a fight like this fight between Flores and Nanchinga, where you have no expectations right. whatsoever, not, not negative or positive, just whatever. It's a fight. And you see something that you'll never forget. I mean, yep. this is like on the level, I was thinking like, what are other great junior, uh, junior flyweight fights? And 
Uh, and they, they mentioned this on the broadcast and it was in my mind also. And the one that jumps to mind right off the bat is probably, the, I guess, uh, unless I'm missing something, maybe the, the greatest fight in the history of the weight class uh, that a lot of people talk about is the first fight between uh, the two Hall of Famers, Michael Carbajal and uh, Humberto Chiquita Gonzalez, who mm-hmm. had, just, you know, sensational. Now you're, now you're speaking my language early 90s. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that was a fantastic fight. You know, and, you know, my man Jorge Arce was in some great fights in those weight classes. And, you know, I remember the fights with like Giovanni Segura was in some some big time action fights in that weight class, whatever there. And there's guys that have been in those types of fights. Roman Gonzalez and uh, his first fight with uh, with uh, Juan Francisco Estrada was when Roman defended uh, his uh, his WBA title in the 108 pound weight class. But the, the point is, it's not like a, a division replete with like incredible fights over history that we all remember and talk about. This, if you saw it, Nanchinga and Flores is on that level. And I'm not trying to overhype and oversell it. I would just say to anybody who's listening to this podcast, who tunes in to hear what we have to say and, and, and takes our opinions, you know, maybe doesn't agree with every single thing we say, but I hope that if they hear me say, go watch that fight, it's that fucking good. (laughs) and i'm taking your advice i did not get to see it with all the college football craziness i did not see that undercard fight but when we're done i'm gonna go check it out on the recommendation of brother rayfield we bow to you and i didn't say to the audience by the way just to prop you one more time you were sitting there you were sitting there rattling off all of those names off the top of your head like all of us would have the recall of the best 108 pound title fights in history i again prop you up even though you're grouchy even though you're crotchety right now, I'm giving you some props on that because he was using no notes, no computer screen, no nothing to come up with that. It looks like it's a great fight. All right, anything before we get out of here in closing? What else? Anything well, else? I was just going to say in terms of that fight uh, between Nanchinga and uh, Flores about sort of like out of nowhere. I'm sold. I'm going to go watch no, no, it. But you I, don't saying, sell I remember anymore. years ago, there was a fight that took, this is like pre, like when, when the internet was still sort of like not as big as it was, not to make us sound so old. Uh, YouTube was there, but it wasn't like the go-to place for everything that you wanted to see, certainly in boxing. And there was a fight in France between uh, uh, Manchapur and Sarungi, uh, not Sarungi, uh, uh, the 122-pound world title fight uh, of a Sisachkawal, and they made an unbelievable fight. And somebody had put it up on YouTube in like four parts, and I watched it. And I remember going to the annual boxing writers boxing writers meeting where we do the nominations for things like fight of the year and uh and um you know manager of the year and all that sort of stuff right. and and that was not being nominated and i'm like you guys gotta watch this fight and i had you to like educated make, them you educated i had to educate them you got, them. I said, you got them up to speed yeah the 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 uh the fight was in 2006 i just look i did look it up it's it's a uh, manchapur against samsak sithwachikal from Thailand what names my lord okay, WBA 122 pound world title and the point was nobody knew those guys had never seen the fight and I'm like guys and I had watched it and I saw a friend of mine actually had sent me a DVD of the fight that they had uh, gotten from a friend that they traded with in Europe uh, this is back when you know I trade you know traded DVDs all the time and anyway so I said you know there's still a few months before you actually are going to have the banquet and you are have to have the awards uh, announced and who the winners are so I stood up at that meeting and I made the case for this fight. I said, if, if you if you think that I know anything about boxing, I beg you, please, please go watch this fight. If you don't want to watch it on YouTube, email me or come up to me after the meeting. Give me your address. I, on my own dime, I will 
burn you a DVD and I will send it to you <laughs> just so you watch it because this fight has to be the fight of the year. Okay. And, and amazingly, the fight ended up winning the fight of the year against all odds because, you know, a guy from France against a guy from Thailand in a 122 pound fight that wasn't on American TV that, you know, you kind of had to hunt around to find uh, wins the fight of the year. And I still remember uh, uh, Somsak did not make the trip to get the award, even though he was the winner of the fight. Machapur came to New York for the banquet to accept the award and his translator and the guy that one of the guys that was with him introduced him to me. And, and so, you know, we talked for a minute or two through the translator and he said to him, this is the American reporter who, you know, was the champion of your fight that, right. that, that campaigned for you to be here. And he was very, you know, thankful. So in terms of this fight that happened in Mexico, more people got a chance to see, it, at least in this country, because it was on the zone. And I'm not saying it's on that same level of drama of that one, but it's the point is that it's like this fight, that just little fight out of nowhere that yep. had no attention on it. I hear it deserves you. to be in the it's, conversation. It's why we the love the sport because yes. it's why we love sports in general, because it, the unexpected Larry Merchant always called it the theater of the unexpected. Your, your, uh, your, your good friend who uh, for so many years was on those HBO broadcasts, you'd have to tune in because often you would see something you had not seen or didn't expect in these, uh, in these fights. That's what you're selling right now. I'm buying. I will go and watch that after we are done. Anything else in conclusion, we'll put a bow on a Labor Day edition of the recap for the peeps before we come back in the preview mode later in the week. Are we good? We're we good. Can? We're good. I think we are good as well. Thank you for finding us and listening to us again, follow or subscribe on this podcast feed, the big fight weekend podcast feed. We come off the weekends with the fight freaks unite recap. We are good for now with, uh, with all of the uh, action from Los Angeles to Mexico. We didn't even mention the, uh, the Liverpool England win by Liam Smith, but he did get a win. Is he going to stay relevant as a former WBO 154 pound champ? He won his main event fight for Boxer, the uh, the promotion, and on Sky Sports. We'll see if he stays relevant. I even squeezed that in before we. That was done. a weird. That was a weird knockout. Not a great fight, but a weird knockout. Yeah, uh, Mawakendo, the um, the Tanzanian, uh, was he slipping on on a wet spot? He hurt. He clothes? hurt his ankle. He hurt, he hurt his, his ankle. ankle. Was it a right to the jaw that hurt his ankle? Who knows? It goes down as a TKO. Liam Smith gets the. You know, yeah. I, wa I, wa I did watch that show also. On uh, thankfully to our uh, my friends at the Fight App who had it on as a $10 pay-per-view. There you go. So we have all of this uh, in the recap, and that's a full show. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. We're back later in the week with the preview. For now, we're good on Fight Freaks Unite. Bye.